Now, I want to make a statement opening up, and I am going to support this statement throughout the sermon. But the statement, I just have to kind of hit you with it right here out of the gates, okay? When we talk about there is a warning. By the way, next week is going to be there is a promise. So I know I said last week I had five points. I changed it around a little bit. Last week, it's there is a test. This week, there is a warning. Next week, there is a promise. And then we've got stewardship coming in week four. Um, but here's the statement I want to make. And this is the warning. If you rob God, you will be cursed. Now, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Okay. By the end of the sermon, I believe that you're going to be very excited about that. You guys are like, okay, you got your work cut out for you tonight. If you rob God, you will be cursed. So let's open up to the same verses that we started in last week in Malachi chapter 3. And uh, tonight we're just going to read verses 8 through 10. The prophet says to the people, this is God's word to the people, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. God says, will a man rob God? You have robbed me. And then they, they kind of push back if you see the way that this is going. How have we robbed you, God? They kind of, kind of shoving back on this, uh, this rebuke, if you will. Remember, the theme of Malachi is return to me, returning to God, getting back to a place where they once were. And he said, well, how have you robbed me? And he says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And... If you look at that in the ESV translation, verse 10, it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So what they're guilty of is because of the conditions in their land, let's call them the economic conditions, they're being suppressed by the neighboring nations that are against them. You know, they just come out of captivity, so they're kind of rebuilding their nation, if you will. And, uh, and God says, you need to bring the full tithe or the whole tithe, all of the first tenth, the full 10%, into the storehouse. And what they were guilty of was bending or sort of, uh, adjusting the way that they were actually behaving towards God in an ordinance that he had already laid out with very specific instructions that were not to be modified, but they've actually convinced themselves that because of the circumstances around them, that this is acceptable and this is okay. So, so basically, they're not bringing the full tithe, the full 10% or the first fruits of their increase to God as the sacrifice and the offering to Him. And we know from last week that that first 10% is the best portion. 
right? Because it's the sacred, holy portion that's set aside and reserved for God. He says, that part's mine, you don't put your hand to that. And so what they're guilty of is not bringing the full portion. Let me ask you a question. How many people love uh, cinnamon rolls fresh out of the oven, hot baked? I got just about everybody on that one, okay. So imagine that I prepare this cinnamon roll casserole. I mean, it's smothered in icing, it's hot and warm and steamy, and I come over to you and I say, Doug, I've got this awesome cinnamon roll casserole here, and I hand it to you and you look down and the entire middle is missing. Anybody's kids ever do that? You know, you come in to get one, it's like, all I have is the scraps around the, everybody knows the best part is the middle, because it's soft all the way around the edges. God is saying, you're bringing me your scraps. You're bringing me your leftovers, the less than best portion and, and you're expecting me to be satisfied with this as an acceptable offering. Now the way it looked there wasn't actually cinnamon roll casserole. It was lame and sick animals instead of the firstborn. Instead of the best. In fact, if you read through the book of Malachi... He's, God's accusing them and he's, he's laying this accusation against them. He's saying, look, you guys have brought me lame and sick animals that are not your best. Let's read Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor... Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So do you understand, see what's going on here? They are bringing the ones they don't want anyway. Does that make sense? They're the ones that they're not really interested in. And so, well, nobody really wants that lame, blind, you know, maimed sheep or animal. Let's just take that one and present that to God as our offering. And God's saying, you act like I don't see this. And, he, and He's telling them, I don't receive that. That's not an acceptable sacrifice to me because God sees right into the heart and He understands the intention and the position that they have when they're doing this. But we're used to, I think, in our culture today, um, modifying things until they eventually meet our expectations or our conveniences it's not necessarily bad in a lot of things right if you go to buy a car or you go to go shopping and get something you, you know what bring it let's make a few changes bring it back to me then uh, let's or maybe it's a contract you want to buy a house you know what let's let's amend that contract make a few adjustments uh, and then you bring it back and they keep making amendments to the contract until eventually it's okay and then you're happy with it that's kind of what they're doing but here's the challenge God's covenant is not amendable. Do you understand that? It's a covenant. It's signed, sealed, and delivered, baby. Like this thing is not up for negotiation, not up for modification or amendments that are signed and, re and returned back. Said, okay, we're going to do it a little bit differently now, God. He's saying, no, 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 no. I understand the circumstances are hard, 
that's all the more reason why you need to be honoring me in a time of difficulty to show your faith in me as your provider no matter what's actually happening around you. So, folks, when we kind of try to bend the uh, rules or arrangements around to suit our conveniences, this is very, very dangerous because there's really no end to how far that logic can take us. I'm okay, everybody. I'm okay. We're good. It's not bothering me. So you guys, I'm all good on the sound thing. So it's not going to... uh, It's not going to bring any benefit if we're trying to make changes and amendments to what's happening uh, in God's provision and in His ordinances. There's no limit to how far that logic can take us. You you make a change in one thing, then all of a sudden you're making changes in multiple things on down the road. He also says, bring it to my storehouse. To my storehouse. Which is interesting because if you study Scripture, throughout Scripture you'll see that there are a a lot of places that would be called storehouses. Individuals could have a storehouse. They could have their own uh, area where they would store up some of their goods. Uh, David had a lot of storehouses. But this was a very specific storehouse. This one was actually in the temple. It was the treasury where the tithes and offerings would come and be received by the priest, and they would go into that storehouse, God says, so that there would be food in my house. You understand there's a specific location that God instructs where we bring the tithes to. That's what he's really making sure that they understand. Exodus 23, verse 19 says this, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So the storehouse was in the temple, was in the place of worship. It was in the place where God's presence was resting the dwelling place of God among the people. So much so, listen to this, this is interesting, they would come several times a year and they would make pilgrimages with their tithes and offerings and they would travel to the place where God would make His name known where His presence was in that temple. And that's where they would bring the tithes and offerings. That's a lot of dedication, isn't it? I love that because that shows that the relationship with God was central to society. That's awesome, isn't it? We, we actually build our lives and our society and our culture around what the Word of God actually tells us to do. We're going to come three times a year. That means we're going to be there and everything else we're doing, we're going to make sure revolves around those important times that God has actually already designed for us. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 26, verse 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Notice that language right there. Like He's basically going to tell them, you're going to tithe off of the land that I'm giving you. That, you catch that? He's like saying, you're, you're returning to me what is already a gift from me to you to begin with. And then you possess this and dwell in it. You shall take some of the first 
of all of the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket, go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide. Now jump down to verse 4. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Now in the Old Testament, the place where the temple or the tabernacle was when Moses designed the tabernacle, it was in a place called Shiloh for many, many years until the temple was built by Solomon, and then we know it was in Jerusalem. So wherever this place that God's presence was is where they would come and bring the tithes and offerings. So we know that the storehouse that Malachi is talking about is a very specific storehouse, a very specific treasury. It was in the temple, the place where God's presence was dwelling. In today's terms, I would say it like this, it's the local church. It's the place where we gather as the body of Christ. He says that there may be food in my house, Because this is the place where we are receiving spiritual food. Ministries are being supported. Spiritual food is being provided. We're growing up strong in our faith. And then we're taking those gifts and talents that we're being raised up in and taking those out and releasing those into the community around us. So, you know, you hear a question or maybe a... Uh, an argument from people at times where they'll say, well, I, you know, I pay my tithes a little bit differently. Or I've heard it like this, there's a lot of, way, a lot of different ways to pay your tithes. Respectfully, that is absolutely ungrounded in Scripture. That is not supported. In fact, it's contradicted in Scripture. We know that the tithes are to be brought into the storehouse of God that there may be spiritual food in the house of God. The Lord says, bring it. And then in the New Old Testament, the priests would receive, the, Le- the Levitical priesthood would receive the tithes and offerings from the people, and then they would present those to God on behalf of the people. I'm not going to get into this tonight, but I want to just touch on something that's really powerful. Hebrews chapter 7 says that even though the priests, according to the tribe of Levi, would receive the tithes, and they, so men would receive them, it says that we have a new high priest in Jesus Christ. He himself receives them from us. So when we bring our tithes to God in the local church that we're being fed and raised up in. Listen to me. You have to understand this. Between you and God, you are presenting those to Jesus and He is receiving those as an offering unto Himself. Powerful, powerful. It says, so that there may be food in my house. So as far as the comment, there are different ways to pay tithes. Uh, that is erroneous and unfounded in Scripture. Next thing I want to touch on here are the priests that are involved in this rebuke that's going on in Malachi. Because if you go back in the beginning of the book, it actually starts out with Malachi rebuking the priests. Now the people are still accountable, but he's actually rebuking the priests for what's happening here. Why is that? Now, This is an area over this last couple of weeks as I've been studying that God's just really opened up to me in a whole new way. 
And frankly, it's kind of caused me to tremble uh, in fear before the Lord in a whole new way. Katie was even asking me this last week as I was preparing and studying. She says, well, you, you preached this series like two years ago, so you probably don't need to study as much for this one as you would normally. And believe it or not, I've actually studied more and prepared more over these last couple of weeks than I even normally do, I think, on a regular week because this stuff is just opening up in a new level. But the priests were being rebuked because they were receiving these lame and sick animals on behalf of the people, and then they were going in and sacrificing those lame and sick animals to God for the people. You see where I'm going with this, maybe. Let's read this. Malachi chapter 2 Verse 4, and God is speaking to the priests here. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi, so he's talking about the priesthood when he says Levi, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips he walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek information from his mouth for he is the messenger of the lord of hosts but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Wow. So what he's saying is that the way that this relationship of the priesthood works and those who are called to minister my word let's say in the local church today those who are called and appointed and pastor preacher teacher evangelist prophet those offices of the church he's saying that ought to be done and carried out under a constant spirit of uh or a constant mode of fear of the lord awe and trembling reverence meaning this i am so concerned with what God thinks and says about how I teach what's in this word, that that is the driving, governing factor for what I say and how I say it. Does that make sense? He's saying that's the way it was supposed to be. He says there should be truth coming out of their mouth. Their lips should be reliable. The people should be able to go to them and seek and hear the Word of God out of their mouth and off of their lips. It ought to be trustworthy. But the fact is, they have failed the people. You understand that? They have failed the people because they have not understood even themselves what the full doctrine of the covenant actually instructed them to do so by accepting these lame and sick animals they're basically letting the people know that what they're doing is okay no wonder everybody is confused 
Even the priests have no idea what's going on, and they have lost their way. That's why Paul says in the New Testament, anyone who's going to preach the gospel needs to study and prepare in order to show themselves approved before God that they could rightly handle the word of God in their teaching and preaching. The priests have failed the people. He says, and you've done it in a way where you've showed partiality, and because of this, many have stumbled. (laughs) Isn't that unbelievable? He's saying you're teaching the ordinances and the instructions with partiality, meaning a way that suits your convenience. Say it like this today, preaching in a way where you know you'll never offend anybody in the way that you do it. And he says, when you do that, you're causing people to stumble. You're causing people to drift into iniquity. And this word is so powerful and so potent that if you prepare and you study and you preach it the way I've laid it out, it will lead people away from iniquity and away from stumbling and into the fullness of the promises that I have for them. You see, they have failed the people. And God is now holding them accountable for their negligence. We know that leadership in the church, there there can be manipulation, and there are consequences and punishments for that. But listen to me. This is so important. There are also consequences and punishment for negligence as well. Someone who's not willing to study and prepare and know what this word says has no right being up here in a pulpit of God declaring the word of God to the people because you deserve to come and hear this and come off of trustworthy lips that have studied and prepared and know what this word says so that you can be led away from iniquity. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, you can say amen to that right now. And you know what happens? No surprise. They are removed. They are removed from the priesthood. He says, I, I, and this is, this is strong language. He says, I, I remove you and lead you away as with dung on your face. Meaning you're shameful in the way you've gone about doing something that was supposed to be so sacred. Greater responsibility to him who much is given. Amen? And that's good for the people of God to know Listen, when irresponsible leadership comes into position, I'm not saying there won't be a tarrying time that God allows for things to get made right. But we need to know that God makes a promise to His people. He says, I won't allow that to continue forever. I'll either move you or I'll remove them. One of those things is going to happen because there's a promise to God's people that He will lead us into healthy pastures where we can graze. Amen. So that, the first point, I kind of went right over that, but number one is that there is the offense, which is robbing God. So when we don't bring our full tithe or we don't bring it into the right place, he says, you're, you're robbing me when you do that. And so let's get to number two, which is what is the result of that? The result of that is, he says, you are cursed. You are cursed. Now, let's talk about this, because sometimes when people hear that, they're like, whoa, you know, it's kind of strong, Pastor, you're telling me God's cursing me. Well, 
you know that when you study the Bible, Hebrew words take on a, a kind of kaleidoscopic different form of definitions, right? And there's usually a primary usage in that text. This is not talking about the curse of sin and death. So what he's not saying is if you didn't tithe, you're bound for hell. Or you, you've got a death sentence. That's not what he's saying. This is what the curse means in this context. It means to be bound or to be restricted or to be confounded. Let me say it another way. When we don't bring the tithe to God, the blessing that the covenant is designed to put on the other 90% is lifted. You understand that? Therefore, what we have then done is forfeited the rights and privileges of that heavenly economy that someone who walks according to the covenant of the tithe has the right to walk in. And then it exposes us to many other kinds of attacks. We'll get to this next week with the devourer that God would otherwise be shielding us from if we were walking with him in that covenant. Let me show you a demonstration to try to prove, kind of make my point. Let's say that this umbrella is the covering, okay? Because when we're walking in the covenant with God, according to the tithe, he says, I have a covering over you. There's a blessing over you to protect you. Whenever that covenant is gone, there's a curse, meaning everything that you have that you try to use, it'll be bound, it'll be confounded, it'll be restricted in its ability to multiply supernaturally. We forfeit that. So let's say that this is the covering, and the conditions in the natural world I don't want to use rain because rain is typically a good thing in the Bible. It's, let's say it's acid rain that's coming down, okay? And it's going to eat up everything I've got, acid rain. But this covering is protecting me. It's still raining acid rain out here all around the outside of this covering that I'm under. But because I'm under a covering, it doesn't matter where I go I'm still being protected and shielded from whatever is actually trying to come against me and devour the resources that God has blessed me with. So it doesn't matter if I go here and I say, well, you know, I don't know, uh, things are pretty tight right now and my bills are pretty tight, I don't have a lot of money, I'm still protected. It doesn't matter if I go over here. Well, the economy's not looking good. They say that, you know, jobs are not really secure right now. I'm protected right here. Well, they're telling me I might lose my job if I don't get a vaccine. So I don't know if I can really afford to do what God says. It doesn't matter. I'm covered right here. It doesn't matter where I go. The covering of God in this covenant is following me everywhere I go. But if I put that thing down, all of a sudden, I'm totally exposed. That's what he means by you're cursed. You're coming out from under the covering that's meant to shield you and protect you so that you live under the 
priorities and the rules of the supernatural economy of God even when you're walking among a natural economy in this world. When we put this down, we immediately start operating by all the rules here in the world's economy and not God's. He says, I've made this for you to be able to walk under and be protected. And so God was just basically telling them, I've, I've caught you. <laughs> I see it. Right? He, he knows what they've been doing. So when he comes to them, he's warning them as a loving father. Not like he's saying, I've just been waiting to get you, and I got you, and I'm just going to lay this punishment on you. You know, if we're parents, we know, like, we tell our kids, don't do that. I, you know, I don't want you to get in trouble. Please don't do that. It's bad for you. And then, when they, and then you see them do it, and you're like, okay, I have to punish you now. I don't want to punish them. I tell them, I, I, I don't want to do this, but I have to in order to help you. That's what God's saying here. He's, he's warning them as a loving father. He's saying, you've been robbing me. And therefore, the consequences of this curse, of the blessing being lifted, are now coming upon you. But listen to me. It's only so you see the truth and you can find your way back to me and get back under this covenant that I've designed you to live under all along. That's how good God is. He warns us. He's long-suffering and patient to give us opportunity through these consequences that come as a result of violating his ordinances. Those are all designed to get us back to him and where we're supposed to be anyway all along. And so the last point here, number three, is the response. The response. And really, if we hear the word of God and the truth of the word, even whenever it conflicts with how we're presently living, and I hope you understand that that happens all the time. It should. Oh, oh, I need to change that. That's a good sign that your heart is soft and tender, and the word of God can actually confront things when they're not in line with the way God wants us to live. And then change happens as a result of that. When we really hear the word of God, even when it confronts and conflicts, listen to me, this is the part I said I think you're going to be very excited about. Even when that happens, if it is received the right way, it actually produces joy. Does that make sense? Because we see here in Malachi that as you go to the end of the book and Malachi is warning the people, God's warning the people, it says basically that there were two different groups of people. One group heard the word of God, they received it, and they responded. It said those people had their names written in the book of remembrance. And then there was another group of people, it says, who actually decided to keep doing things their own way. And this is how the word of God actually operates in our world. It comes upon us, and we have the opportunity to choose what we do with it. Will I hear it, and will I choose to obey? You see, God's word sifts us. And I, I wonder in the world we're living in today, 
if maybe God's word, God is calling his preachers and his uh, prophets and his teachers to preach the word in a way where it really can begin to sift. You see, the issue really is so much bigger than just the tithe. It's actually about this. Will you do what I say you're supposed to do when you hear what you're supposed to do? The time for erring when you didn't know is over once you know. And I think that's what God is really trying to get through to us. The bigger issue is more than just the tithe. The bigger issue is, will you begin to alter your convenient, comfortable lifestyle when the word of God confronts it and conflicts with it and shows you how you need to change in order to live under the covenant blessing and promises that I have for you in every single area of your lives? You see, in the book of Nehemiah, we see a contrasting picture. They've rebuilt the temple, and then they've rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah has this kind of ceremony where they break out the book of the law, and they begin reading it to the people. And when they begin reading it to the people, listen, the people realize, oh my gosh, we've been robbing God. They haven't been bringing tithes and offerings, and they haven't been following many of the ordinances. But the difference is, corporately as a nation, they sit there and they listen to the law, the word of God, get preached and taught all day long. And then the second half of the day, they tear their garments, they get on their faces, they repent, they are filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, and then the joy of the Lord became their strength. Here's what you need to know. That joy actually got produced right on the heels of a deep spirit of repentance in the land and people turning back to God. And all of a sudden, they became stronger than they ever were. They say, they look at this and they say, oh my gosh, God, you haven't changed. We have. <laughs> they see it whenever they hear the word and they say, oh my gosh, Lord, we haven't, you haven't changed in any way along this time frame. We're the ones that have changed. They're filled with joy even though they see that they've erred and they've sinned against God because they've repented, they've received forgiveness, and they're filled with joy because they can say, oh my gosh, we see a better way to live. We see a better way to live than we were ever living on our own before. And that's what I'm trying to say in this area is is so important because once we hear the truth, we're confronted with something that we have to decide what we're going to do with. If you hear the word of God and you say, it's there from beginning to end, I could go on all night long giving you scriptures about the consistency of God with the first fruits principle all through scriptures. If you see that and you say, that's the word of God, we are, we are responsible and accountable at a new level with what we do with that. And there's a big difference between someone who kind of struggles in their flesh versus someone who is stubborn when they hear the truth of the Word of God. Stubbornness is also called in Scripture stiff-necked or to turn your back to God. Whoa. It means I heard the truth and I'm choosing to go my own way. Let me tell you something. 
If this is an area that's hard for you in your flesh, but in your spirit you're saying yes to God, I want to assure you he's going to help you with that. I want to assure you that if you ask God, Lord, I want, I want to do this, would you help me? You're still going to have to have faith, but God is going to respond to that person differently than the person who says, I've heard it and I'm just, I choose I'm not going to do it. And they turn their will away from God's. That begins to produce a very hardened outer layer around their heart. And it's very difficult for fresh seed of the word of God to get into new soil now. But praise God, if you've been there coming in tonight and that's where you're coming from, can I tell you something? The word of God is also a hammer and it can shatter rock into pieces. You could say tonight, I hear the word of God and I'm receiving it and maybe over time you've been callous to the things of God, but that word like a hammer can crush that hard outer layer of resistance and stubbornness that you may have been walking in and today can be a brand new day for you. You see, the most beautiful thing in the world about Scripture is that when we hear it, God gives us the opportunity to respond to it. We hear it, and many times when we hear truth, we say, I haven't been living like that. (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) And God says, it's okay, I know. (laughs) He knows. The question is, what are you going to do about that? The heart that's really right before God hears those things. And there's a sorrowful, penitent response that is then flooded by the most wonderful, joyful feeling of forgiveness and strength that comes along with saying yes to God. It happens in tithing. Let me ask you a question. What else does that sound like? It sounds a whole lot like the gospel to me. When I heard and realized I was born a sinner, I was born with a death sentence, that's news that will penetrate your heart right there. And there was sorrow. Sorrow that led to repentance. And then I was flooded with the most wonderful, wonderful forgiveness. And I've been filled with the spirit of joy that I've walked in every day of my life since then. You see, the word of God will confront. But it gives us an opportunity to make changes that will align with God's word, that will allow us to continue walking under the covenant and the blessing that he has planned. He's such a good God. And I just want to encourage you tonight as we close. That this is an area that you've been struggling in. Or maybe, kind of like you said earlier, you've been thinking that you're doing this, but you've been laying it out according to your own rules and principles instead of the way God says. This is an opportunity to test God, to say yes to God, but to set a precedent in your life that says, Lord, I will say yes to you in any area of my life 
when you show me the truth of your word and how I'm supposed to live. That will become a lifestyle and a pattern for me that my life will constantly adjust and align to fit what this plumb line says it ought to look like. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to ask you tonight, and if you're watching online, ask you as well, have you said yes to Jesus? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? Have, have you asked him to forgive you of your sin so that you can be saved? I know you know this, but can I just remind you for a second that every one of us are going to die one day. A physical death and none of us know when that day is going to be the most tragic thing in all the world is for someone to die without having been said yes to Jesus you can welcome him into your heart right now Lord Jesus will you forgive me of my sin Wash me clean so that I can be saved. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I want to walk my life out according to your ways and your principles, not the world's. I want to live according to heaven's economy and the kingdom of God, not of this world. And I thank you so much, Jesus, for dying for me so that I could know that life. And everybody said, 